So I'm going to talk about the spirit and power of Elijah again because I think it's really very important. I just want to make a few comments about Elijah, and it's kind of review, but number one is Elijah, this is crazy if you think about it like this, Elijah had a direct and God-ordained impact on the economy of a nation, a direct and God-ordained impact. In other words, he, with a word, destroyed the economy of Israel, destroyed it when he said it's not going to rain. And that was an agricultural-based uh, economy. That's a pretty, pretty powerful word. And, and it didn't just affect Israel. It affected the neighboring nation. It was a major, major drought and, and it, that came about uh, because of his word. That's the kind of guy you, he was. You don't want to mess with a guy like that, right? You, you, you don't want him messing with your finances. You wouldn't want him to show up at your house mad, would you? I wouldn't. Uh, so he, uh, his ministry was, was during a time of economic calamity. Think about this. Economic, political instability. He ministered in an anti-God culture, an anti-God culture. Uh, he ministered when f- the family structure of the nation, families were absolutely being dismantled. Families being, there was absolute moral decay and, and wickedness in the nation uh, there was an unjust and unsafe business environment in Israel at that time. An unjust and unsafe. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> we could be describing the United States of America, and we could be describing many nations. Uh, so there's a there's a mirror of it. Now let's let's don't think about just the negative because there's something hopeful in all this. Uh, if there was ever a revivalist in the Bible, Elijah was a revivalist. If there was ever a person who had the fire of God and had access to the fire of God, this was... A, so you see there's, there's those two sides of this thing. There's the, the side of absolute calamity in a nation, and then there was the side of this man brought fire from heaven and turned a nation back to God, turned a nation back to God. And it was a pretty traumatic turning. And so we can see there's so much hope and there's so much of a parallel of the times we live in uh, where God, you know, Jesus promised us that he again, he said the spirit of Elijah has come. That's what Jesus said, Mark 9, go back and read it. The spirit of Elijah has come and will come. He has come and he will come. In other words, he's not talking about little, the, the person that, named, that was named Elijah. He was talking about that spirit that rested on that man and enabled him to do what he did. And the same spirit came on John the Baptist. What did he do? He, he ministered in a very politically charged environment, a very difficult moment in history. And he came and, he, and people went literally by the droves out into the nowhere to see and hear what he was having to say. There was an attraction there. And God's going to release that attraction on the body of Christ, I believe, when we begin to really flow in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's why we're talking about this, because God has an anointing for the church in America. God has something for us to do besides go to church. He has something for us to do, and I believe he wants to anoint people with the spirit and power of Elijah. Amen? I really believe that. I believe that's our future. I believe that's the dream. If you have a dream... For America, if you have a dream for the nations, that's your, that is your answer right there. That's the dream, is to have this anointed. Now, it may get you in trouble, <laughs> right? 
So I shared with you last week how, you know, he gave this word to the king that it's not raining, period, until I say so. That's a powerful word. And then it says the Lord took him and said, go. It's, it's really what Chuck was saying. If the Lord's got to call on you, be patient. Because what did God do to Elijah right after he gave this powerful word, this dynamic word, go set by a brook. Go set. And outside of Israel, outside of what God was doing, so to speak, out in the wilderness, you're on the outside looking in. God's doing things, and here you are. You're sitting out there like, what about me, God? I know many of you have felt like that, and it may be because God has sent you to sit. But, and like I said last week, before Elijah could stand on Carmel, he had to sit by the brook. And see, a lot of people have a difficulty with that setting. Okay, a lot of people have a difficulty, especially people who have callings on their life, because your calling is strong, and it pushes you, and it drives you, and it pulls on you, and it's hard when God says sit. But when he says sit, it might be wise for us to sit. And then in verse 7 of of 1 Kings 17, that's where I'm picking up. Are y'all following this? I hope you're interested in this, because I'm highly interested in this. I'll tell you why I'm highly interested in it. One, the Lord told me to be highly interested in it. Two is I want this anointing. I'm going for it. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on this anointing. It says, It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. That's verse 7. The, the brook had dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so uh, what I wanted to, I just wanted to say this, and this is, you know, common understanding that God changes things from time to time in our life. Right? There, uh, he has uh, different ways of supplying our needs and supplying for us. And sometimes what was given us, what was an income or a job or a relationships or your spiritual life, sometimes that changes. Okay? Because God is a God of change. He, he, God himself doesn't change, but he changes things in our life from time to time. And it's really uh, foolish for people to hang on to the brook when God is saying there's something else. And, and so it's so easy for us, and I really want to encourage you about this. It's easy to fall in the thought, you got a job, and then one day you don't have the job. A lot of people have experienced that. That's a traumatic thing. It's really hard to go through that, your source of income to be suddenly cut off. But the truth is, the job was not your source of income. And, and I think that's the thing that God really wants us to, to remember it, as difficult and, and challenging as, as that can really be is God is the source of your income. And that's the whole point with Elijah, what he was trying to get to Elijah. That brook is not your source. I'm your source. And so if we're going to really walk in, 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 a, in a greater anointing, we're going to really have to tap in and really keep this. Now, I, I understand, believe me, uh, about the source of income stuff, okay? I really understand how challenging and how difficult that can be when that shifts in your life. I mean, that's a real practical thing, but there's other aspects, relationships. You can have a, a shifts in relationship. You can have relationships with people that were very meaningful and impacting your life, and God may take that, take that relationship away from you. You may lose that relationship, or you may be out of that relationship for a season. That's very difficult. And it's because God really is the source of relationships. And I think really what we have to begin to do, 
if you're like me, when things begin to shift in your life, you tend to look at it negatively. You, you tend to look at what you're losing instead of trying to see what is God doing behind this. If God is taking people out of my life, it's because there's a, there's a purpose in it, and it's the best thing for me. Y'all are really looking at me like, oh, yeah, I really love that. Nobody wants that to happen to them. I, I realize that, but that's life, the life we live in. There's people in this room that have lost their spouse. That's, a, that's, that's trauma, man. That's trauma. I'm not saying God took their spouse, but I'm saying they're gone. And they had to find, they had to find God in that. And see, I think that's where we have to find God. And I think that's one of the lessons of, 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 that Elijah, you see in his life, that is he had to find God in his life, being the supply for him, being the source of his life, when he was cut off from everything. He was cut off from everything. And then the brook dries up, the thing that God said, go do this, and now the thing that God said to go do and go be with no longer is working. And he has to get up, next verse. Are you all okay? I'm trying to be compassionate about that because uh, I understand it's so hard because I've suffered and suffered and suffered in my life, particularly in the area of relationships. Of losing losing friendships and losing thing, people in my life, and it's been devastating to me at times. And you know, it's been devastating to me. And, and I'm not saying losing it in a bad way. It's just that you know, you came to a you came to a, a cross in the road, and God said, "You're going that way, and they're going this way. If you're going with me, you're going that way. I'm going with them that way. But your 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 paths are not going to be together. That's hard. And I've also suffered some in the financial arena." So I understand what it feels like to have a really nice income and suddenly not to have that real nice income no more. It's hard. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that somewhere in all of this, when, when God begins to change and shift things, we have to find God in it. That's the key. That's, that's our answer through it. Otherwise, you'll make wrong decisions, you'll make wrong choices, and you'll have a falling out with God over it and, and probably a few other people. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? So uh, then the Lord, the word of the Lord, verse 8, came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and, or Sidon, or however you say that, and stay there. Okay, so the Lord said, go there, which happened to be 100 miles away. Now, that don't sound like a lot unless you're walking. If you're walking, suddenly you've got a long walk that you've got to take. So... And behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. It would be nice, like, hey, there's a millionaire there. He's got more money than he's got sense. And he's waiting on you to come. I've spoken to him. No, I've got a widow. Widows symbolically speak of the poor in the Bible. They, they speak of the people on the margins. The people don't have nothing. So here you've got a 100-mile walk, and you're thinking, a widow's going to take care of me. This is going to really be great. I thought this brook was bad. And these ravens are bad now. I got this old woman who don't have a husband who's really needy, and it's just going to be messed up, you know, and she's going to be the one that's going to take care of me. This is a really awesome calling God's given me. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I would think if I was in Elijah's shoes. So I want to point out about uh, uh, Zarephath, uh, which belongs to Sidon, okay? It was a, it was a town. It was a village there. Uh, it would be located today in what we call Lebanon. That's where this is at. That's why it was a 100-mile walk from Israel. 
Uh, it was north of the land of Israel, which Lebanon is. So, but this is very interesting, this place is. And I want to remind you about this place because there's a very infamous person who came from this place. I'm going to read 1 Kings 16, 31. I'm jumping back to remind you of who this person is. And it came to pass, as though it had been a tribal thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he's talking about, he's talking about Ahab, that he took as a wife... Jezebel, the daughter of, of Ethbaal, king of what? Sidonians. Sounds like somebody on Star Trek, right? So Jezebel, and he went and served the Baal and worshipped him. Ahab's wife came from Sidon, Sidon. In other words, think about it. Think about it. God is sending you to a widow to take care of you, and guess where she lives? She lives in the very place that this demon possessed and ruled that you had challenged earlier and said, I don't give a rip what that demon says or does. It ain't going to rain. And that demon happened to be the God of rain. And you're saying, he, ain't, he can't beat my God. And now God is sending you. He had you over here isolated, safe away from everything in a sense. You're probably thinking, oh, I really like that brook. At least it was safe. I don't have... It's like walking into the, enemy, the heart of the enemy's camp and marching right in there. That's where God sent him. Isn't that amazing? God's kind of crazy, I think. And then it, it says, back in verse 10 of, of, of chapter 17, So he went, he rose and went, and he came, listen, to the gate of the city. That's really important, because I think most of you know in the Bible that gates of the city meant the place of authority. It meant the place of the rule. Okay, that's what they're trying to tell us. It meant Jesus said the gates of hell, Matthew 16, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will, will not prevail against it. That's all the power, all the authority, all the counsel of hell will not stand against the church. That's what Jesus said. So what, what? not only was he going to the enemy's camp, he was going to the very council, the very, the very place of authority where the enemy of God's people were waiting where they, where, they, where they resided, where they lived. I mean, it's like going into the worst place. Y'all getting that? I mean, this is, this is what the spirit that rested on Elijah is going to do. God will send people into the very depth of darkness when you, you're carrying a word. I think that's pretty, pretty amazing. And then in verse 11, it says... He, well, it's, he said, I need to finish that. There was a widow, just happened to be a widow, and cool. There was a, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. So when he got there, there was this old woman there. Well, maybe she wasn't old, but I'm thinking she might be. Okay, she was gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. So I think really what he was trying to do was see if this was indeed the widow that the Lord had told him was going to take care of him. Because I'm sure there were many widows around. But he saw this one. He said, that might be it. I'm going to ask her to give me a cup of water. And she does. I'll know. And so, as she was, it says in verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, hey, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, listen to this, as the Lord your God, not my God, but your God, she knew he had a different God. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Listen. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in the jar. 
And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for it and myself, for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's pretty powerful, that we may eat it and die. Now, this is really interesting um, because if you study the history of Sidon or of what they call Phoenicia, which I remember that from the sixth grade history, it was said that Baal, this is interesting, Baal was the one who supplied the flour and the oil. Baal, the, the very thing that she said, I don't have this. Right there in Baal's citadel, I don't have but just a little bit of this. And Elijah was going there, and isn't it interesting how he went right for that thing? Right for it. Right, it was a direct challenge to that spirit that was operating in that place. It didn't seem like a direct challenge, but it, are y'all getting that? Because he was, the, he was the one who supplied that. That's what those people believed. That's why they worshipped him. Because if they worshipped Baal, they would have oil. They would have flour. They would be economically prospered. But they weren't. It's interesting. And so Elijah said to her, don't fear. Now here's the challenge. See, this, I want you to get this. This situation here was a preparation for Mount Carmel. See, God just didn't throw them up there on Mount Carmel to take on everybody. He said, just go in and let's just take this one step at a time. This was a big step right here. He already took that one step with the king by prophesying, but this time he was not talking to a person. He was going after that, that demon directly. And he was making a statement, don't fear. And go and do as you have said, but make me... A small cake from its fur, from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says, listen, this is the challenge. For thus says the, he, listen, God was. This was a direct slam in, in Baal's face. Thus says the Lord God of Israel: The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. In other words, what Elijah was saying: Listen, listen. You know, your God has failed you. He's a bum. He can't do it. But I'll tell you what, this is what my God's going to do. I'll show up bail today because you will have all you need until it rains again. It was a direct confrontation. It was very powerful. And it was not only going to take care of some human beings' lives and keep them alive. it It was going to... It was, it was preparation for Elijah. We all need some preparation for what we're going to be doing soon, sooner than later. There's more preparation. There's more authority. There's more anointed. But, one, but just because you have authority and anointing doesn't mean you always know how to use it. God has to step us and walk us into it. And we need to have humble hearts and allow God to really elevate us and promote us and begin to use us. But we need to take small steps with God. Because God's not just going to jerk us out there and, and do some of the stuff we would like to do. What Bell can't do, God will do. Now, I want to really point out this other little thing here uh, this, that really has stuck out to me. is one of the things she said, uh, and I think this is something we're going to have to deal with in our lives. She said this in verse 12. 
as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only, everybody say only. Only a handful of flour and a bean and a little oil. Only and little. Only and little. That's, that's a big word. Big Two big words. Because, see, many of us operate in the only and little. That's what we operate in. We look at what we have and we say, well, I only have this much money. So I really can't, I really can't invest that money into the kingdom because I only have this much and I need to feed my family. That's what she was saying. I only have this and I've got to feed my son and me. And Elijah was saying, no, 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 don't do that. That's a mistake. That's, that seems kind of rough, right? Only in a little bit. See, it's a spirit that works on people. Only, oh, I only have this much time, so I don't, I'm not going to spend time with the Lord today. I only have this much time. I only have a little bit of this. I only have a little anointing, so I'm not going to pray for nobody. I only have a little revelation, so I'm not going to really share that or do any. I only have a, a, a little dream, so I'm just not going to even pursue them because they're so little. They really don't matter. Why would, you know, God doesn't care about little stuff. Only in a little. See, God wants to break that spirit off in us. And see, that's what Elijah did. He broke that spirit of only in a little off in her. Because she was willing to make a step of faith and give. Because in the kingdom of God, let me tell you this. Let me, let me tell you something. There's, here's, here's the way the kingdom of God works. There's, there's, two, there's, there's receiving and giving. Freely you have received, freely give. So there's receivers and there's givers. You're going to be both of those. There's going to be times you're going to receive and there's going to be times you give. Let me say this. In the world, there's givers and takers. Now, you're going to have to decide which one you are because there's a lot of takers in the body of Christ, I hate to say. But when we're operating in that mindset, we're operating outside the mind of the kingdom. Did you all get that? If you really want to walk in this anointing that God has, you're going to have to become a receiver and a giver, not a giver and a taker. Where all you do is just take. You so say you're one or the other in the world. In the world system, you're either giving or you're taking. In the kingdom of God, you're either receiving or giving. And unfortunately, there's a lot of takers. That's all they do is take. And you really need to ask yourself the question today, which one are you? Which group do you fall in? Y'all didn't like that. <laughs> but it applies in every area of your life. It applies to your finances. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it does, but it really applies to your finances. And that's the way God has ordered it. It applies, they said it, Lord, you've given us, you've, the breath in our lungs came from you. That's why we worship. You, that's a person who's received and they're given. If all you've received is breath, but you really don't worship, Lord, there's something wrong with you. You're not operating in the kingdom's heart. You're operating a worldly heart. I'm, I'm just being honest with you this morning. I hope you feel challenged about it. Because I, I have felt real convicted in my life at times. Because I felt like I've lived in the world of taking. I've been more of a taker at times. And realized that's not, really, that's not even in the kingdom. I need to be like, a, if, I'm, if I have needs, I need to receive from God. But I need to be a conduit, a blessing. So that's what she was. And see, what Elijah did for her, the spirit of Elijah will do this for us. It will help us break that thing off in us. It's a spirit of poverty that works on us. And so we're looking at what we don't have. I only have this little bit, so I can only do this for me and my children and my, and my household. So I had to protect that. You know what the Lord told me? Oh, Lord. 
he told me one day, because I was kind of bemoaning something, and he said, there's enough for everybody. There's enough for everybody. Why should you sit here and not release some things for some people who need it? Why should you do that? If, because there's enough for you and them. So don't hold on to what you have. Release it. And I really want to encourage you, you know, start getting that mindset. There's enough for everybody. That's the way the kingdom works. There's enough to go around for everybody. Now, I will say this, and I promise you with that widow, she probably felt real challenged by that. Like, oh, so I'm going to fix this guy something, and my kid's not going to get to eat because I'm fixing this dogged old ratty-looking guy who's walked 100 miles and been living out in the wilderness for months. I mean, he probably didn't look very appealing. And, and, I, and he's claiming that if I'll do that, you know, I mean, I've, she probably felt very challenged by that. But that's the very thing that she, she had to participate in what God was doing. You've got to participate. You can't just not participate if you want to really get in on what God's doing and the blessing that God has. Are y'all okay? Because y'all are looking at me with frowns on your face. But I believe God wants to break off that only little thing, Okay. And, and, and see, what Elijah did, he gave this woman an access. He opened the door for access to something greater. God. She was living under the access of Baal and the natural. And what he did by asking her to take this step of faith, it gave her access to the kingdom of God. It gave her access to a greater source. And that's really what God wants to do. He wouldn't want to take from you. He didn't demand that. He's just wanting to give you access. To the spiritual realm, he wants to give you access to where, if you, where your needs will always be taken care of. But he does ask us to participate in and, to, and trust him and, to, and take steps towards that. Yeah, I think it's great. I hate doing it sometimes. Like, and I live with this human being that drives me crazy about that. Because she was like, oh, I'm going to give that person a hundred bucks. Like, no, you're not giving him a hundred bucks. Why do you think you're going to give them a hundred dollars? We don't have a hundred dollars. Oh, it's too late. I already did. <laughs> you know, it's been nice to live with a giver. You know, because it's challenged me uh, to, be that, to be that. I mean, I've seen her. I, I'm, this is, I can really say this. I have seen her walk out of a restaurant and say, wait a minute. And go and take her pocketbook and pour everything out of the pocketbook and take it and give it to a waitress. Why did you do that, Becky? Well, she liked it. And she said, I would really like to have a pocketbook like that. So she goes and gives them the pocketbook. I'm thinking, I'm going to just have to buy another one. Dang, you should consult me because I'm the one paying for these pocketbooks. But see, that's the kind of heart God wants to cultivate in all of us. You know, I mean, I really believe that. Huh? Yeah, she got a good, a good one. Somebody gave her a really nice pocketbook, like one of those, like cost a bunch of money. Like when I heard about them kind of pocketbooks, I was thinking, what in the world? Pocketbooks cost that much? I mean, this is insane. Why didn't we get in the pocketbook business? <laughs> and have really nice pocketbooks that cost hundreds of dollars. You know, like you can go to Walmart and get a pocketbook. Who cares what pocket? Obviously, women are really into pocketbooks. Okay, I need to finish. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, this woman actually became a big giver because Elijah actually moved into her house. 
and lived in her house. So she really did. You see, what happened when he spoke to her, God had already spoken to her. I'm sure she knew nothing was happening. But when, when Elijah spoke to her and asked her to do that, it opened the door for her. It opened her ears. Suddenly she felt this thing in her that God had called me. God's called me to take care of this man. God's called me to provide for this man. And what he says is going to happen. And, and it really did happen. Isn't that amazing? Well, I wanted to read this one other scripture, and then I'm going to stop. Is this helpful in, helping anybody? Or are you so bored and wishing I would stop? Uh, this story is actually uh, told by Jesus in the New Testament. Let me set the stage for it. Jesus had begun his ministry. And he went back to, to his hometown for the first time since he had begun his ministry. And he preached there. He preached out of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointing me to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to open prison doors. said all that, and everybody got upset with him. And they were offended at Jesus. And the Bible tells us, the testimony of the Bible is Jesus could not do many miracles there. He only did a few things there because they were so offended at Jesus. They were so offended at him. This is what he said. Once, when he, when he said in verse, it's Luke 4, 24 through 27. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. Many widows. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Salem, to a woman who was a widow. And then he says in verse 27, Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the, Elisha the prophet, and none were, of them were clean, cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so he was telling people this because... They were rejecting him. Okay? God had sent Jesus there. Now listen. This is what the Lord was showing me recently. Like very recently. We got to be careful. Because God, God can pour out his spirit in a Mormon church if he wants to. See, in one sense, we have total, we have God. We have total access to God. God God belongs to us. We belong to God, right? Because we're his family. That's a true heart to have as a child of God. But in another sense, in another, there's another sense is this, is, is we can easily push God away. When God does not show up to us the way we think or the way it fits in our theology or our experience with God. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I think people who've had experiences with God, like the Jewish nation, had mighty experiences with God. I'll tell you something. I think, I think we're just as in danger right this second of, of, of rebuffing the way God comes to us. Because God comes the way he wants to come, not the way we want him to. And God may come and defy everything that we hold to be true and that we really believe. He may come and just absolutely defy it. 
if, I, t- I promise you this, if the Mormon church went into revival, we would be offended at first, really. Be like, why would God go to them? They're not Christians. We'd be offended. Or the Jehovah Witnesses, we would be offended. We'd be offended that they think that they have a right to God. And so God can do what God wants to do, and we need to give God the opportunity to visit us and reveal himself to us the way God wants to reveal himself to you know, he really, we really do. That's what Jesus was saying because there was God standing in front of them, but because they thought they knew who Jesus was, they rejected him. They rejected God. They rejected salvation. They rejected everything that God had. How many times are we rejecting God when we don't like the way he shows up, the package he comes in? And that's what Jesus was trying to say. That was the whole thing. And, and so I really want to entreat myself and retreat all of us you know, about God and about the way God moves and the way God comes and the way God reveals himself is, is we, we do, we really have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. But in our circumstance, in our experience, we have only experienced a drop of all those blessings. And for us to think that we have something more than we really have will cause us to miss God. God really wants us to humble ourselves to Him and declare, like, Lord, you know, the cross has provided it all. It's given us all, Lord, but we're not walking on all of it, Lord, and we desperately need to be walking in it. We desperately need for our hearts to be in a place where we can receive, receive you, Lord. I just believe that's really what, you know, Jesus was trying to tell those people that day. You're not receiving me. Your heart's not in a place where you can receive me. How could God show up like this? We know this guy. And the other thing, you know, I'm going to end, but the other thing that I feel is really important right now, um, you know, Jesus talked about... um, about the Pharisees taking advantages of widows. You know, that's what he said. You're, you're taking advantage. And here, here's the thing that we had to be careful about is the commercialization of God. And if you, you know, we've all for a long time have blasted the TV preachers for their commercialization. But I, I feel like, this is what I feel. When I look at the, look at, the body of Christ. When I look at us, the body of Christ, I see a lot of commercialization going on now in the church than I've ever seen. And I'm really concerned about it. I feel like we're, we're, we've made God, it's, it's, there's too much of a Madison Avenue approach that is, is seeping into the church. And, and people are being taken advantage of. And I don't, and the, and the Lord really does not like that. And the Lord really doesn't want for for the church to be commercial commercializing God. And I think we really have to be careful when it comes to all that stuff, because we can make something look like God's really moving and, and it's really awesome, and all we're trying to do is commercialize it. Are you, do y'all follow that? I hope you do. I, you know, I'm not trying to give no specifics in it because 
other than TV preachers, everybody knows that, right? But I'm telling you, it's, I feel like it's, it's rampant in the church today. I feel like a lot of the move of God has been thwarted by some of the commercialization stuff that has gone on. That's just my opinion, but I really feel the Lord's, I feel the Lord's burden on it. And so I'm just saying in my own heart, Lord, I don't want to in any way do that. So, all righty, y'all, y'all had enough. <laughs> hey, listen, Lord, we ask you this morning to help us, Lord. Mm, I just pray, Lord, that you would anoint us with the spirit of Elijah, Lord, in a big way, in a fresh way. And, Lord, help us. Lord, I just pray for people in this room that <clears throat> have some change going on in their life which probably everybody in this room in some way, Lord, but just, just pray for, that you would help them and help them to find you in the change. Does anybody in here, are you suffering in the area of change? Raise your hand if you feel like you are. Man, y'all are just a dang amazing. Well, you can come out here with me, the lady that who raised her hand right there. Would you come out here? You're the one person that said you're suffering the area of change. You can come out here. Seth, you come out here. Hey, I have suffered mightily for a while in the area of change. I've suffered. It has just wore me down. I want to pray for these guys because I know what it's like to try to, to, to sort through your heart when everything around you is changing. And you're trying to find, you know, like, and, you, and, you, and, this, and some of it's painful. Some of it's difficult. Yeah. It's hurt. It hurts. And God really wants to help us. And see, the thing that God did for me, I, and this is what I want him to do for you. This is what he did. He did two things for me. He helped me settle some things about my identity that were not yet settled about who I am and helped me to embrace that. Okay? And then he began to help me to see a little bit of what the change was about so I could see God at work instead of just seeing the things that I felt like I was losing and things that were not going to work no more for me. And see, that's, that's what has helped me more than anything else. All of a sudden, I have a whole new view on things. And so I just pray that God would give you that and help you get through this moment you know, that your identity would be more secure and you would be able to see yourself the way God sees you and who God's called you to be and you could begin to embrace that and you would see it as the strength of your life and that you would begin to see, you know, God's at work and how and God's hope in it and God's future in it for you. So, Lord, we just pray for them and I just bless them today, Lord, that they would be able to to make these transitions, Lord. That they wouldn't hold on to to the brook that's no longer going to feed them. And I just, they would be able to step into this new place, Lord. Mm. Yeah. Help them to see from your perspective, Lord. You know, the Bible tells us this in Hebrews, that God takes away to establish God never takes away anything out of a person's life without having a view to it, make establishing something better. And so, Lord, we ask you the things that are being taken away in these lives, no matter what it is, Lord, that you would help them to begin to see the things you want to establish, Lord. Yeah, that's right. Just bless them, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, you're good. And I, I just want to say, I couldn't have got through. God got me through this by talking me through it and helping me see his heart in it. He taught me through it. He's beginning to talk to me and reveal himself to me. And I just pray that, that you guys will hear God talking you through this time in your life. Right there with you, right there beside you, talking you through it, talking to you about what's going on, talking to you and helping you feel your roots and feel yourself being established. I just pray that, Lord, there's be an establishment. They begin to sense that establishment. They'd be feeling solid in, in their life and wouldn't feel this shakiness and this all these questions, Lord. And there'd be a, a trust that would get released in their hearts, Lord. Just ask you to do that today, Lord. Lord, we declare you're good. I thank you, Lord. I also just pray that God would anoint with that spirit of Elijah, Lord, that brings us into a higher realm, that taps us into something greater. Lord, we want to tap into something greater like that widow did. She was feeding off of Baal who was letting her down, and she was going to starve to death, Lord. But Elijah tapped her into heaven. Lord, help tap us into heaven. Lord, tap everybody in this room into heaven, Lord. We'd be tapped in, Lord, and we could feed off in heaven. And we begin to be able to receive from heaven in a new way, in a practical way in your lives. Financially, relationally, decisions and choices. Just ask you to do that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're good, Lord. Yes. Bless them all this morning.